Good morning. I don't think it's looking very good for the Seahawks today. Did I just ruin your party? <laughs> and I don't know how you're doing with the election stuff, but uh, I wanted to just put on the screen what I wrote as a final email following our eight, uh, seven for the eighth, and then on, on election day, we were in that room for 13 hours, um, praying for our nation, and then we had the elections, and so this was sort of what I sent out, just to maybe capture a little bit what I believe the Lord's heart would be for us. So I, uh, I wrote, here is a just cause, oh Lord, this is the actual email, attend to my cry, give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. So we gave ourselves to prayer and supplication for our nation. We put our trust in God for his outcomes. And then I, each uh, session, and then also on the emails, I was giving quotes from our former presidents. They're amazing. And there are two things that saturated these letters or proclamations. One was prayer, and the second was the Bible. Saturated for, for, for hundreds of years, actually, a couple hundred years. So President Abraham Lincoln said, let us diligently apply to the means, prayer, never doubting that a just God in his own good time will give us the rightful result, unquote. So we're pressing on together in laboring for the gospel. The harvest truly is great, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to continue as a church seeking to educate, equip, and encourage us in our citizenship as Americans. We're, we're citizens of heaven we have a citizenship responsibility in our nation. We have a freedom. We've been given a constitution, all those things. So we're going to continue doing that. The Lord's been directing that somewhat. So we'll, be, we'll, again, starting next year, we'll have some things that will continue to keep us up to speed on these things. But just continue praying for uh, our nation. Amen? Because I told in a prayer meeting yesterday, I just said, you know, the reality is it's discouraging to look at what's going on, to, to think of a Proposition 1 in California getting voted by a 60-40 margin or 70-30 where they're, they actually are now in the Constitution of California. They have the right to, to abort up to birth. Michigan has one where the doc was on, on the ballot to uh, where doctors, if, abort, if a baby is born alive, even through if it's a botched abortion, that the doctor would be responsible to help that baby out. Well, in Michigan, they voted that down. So you look at this stuff, and we have to just keep praying the Lord will help us to, get our, to keep our eyes on him and to understand that he's allowing these things for his good purposes, his overall purpose. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. Say amen. We are ambassadors to a dark world. Say amen. So we've been given a responsibility to bring the gospel into this dark world, and really, that's the only answer there is for all that we see, not only in our nation, but let's take that down to our state. Let's take that down to our, our communities. Let's take that down to our families. Let's take that down to our marriages. Amen? So, I could go on, but I, wanna, I do want to uh, read and then our, uh, pray for our Panama team. I, from, from what I'm hearing, it's going well. They're running into a few snags here and there, but generally, it's going well. So you have John, Joe, Bobby, David, Gabina, and Marlene are with Andres and, and Mary over there. So I want to have you, if you would stand as we read uh, our text this morning and then a responsive reading. And then I want to include our Panama team in asking the Lord to bless our time here. 
So in Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to really look at 11 through 16. This morning, part 2 of Abraham, faith, and the, and the promises of God. But I want to read beginning in verse 8 and take us through 16. So Hebrews 11, 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed... And she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Response of reading Psalm 105, the beginning and the end of it. I'll read the odd and... The first and odd verse, if you would take the second and read them together. Here we go. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who rejoice seek the Lord. Remember his marvelous works which he has done. His wonders and the judgments of his mouth. He brought out his people with joy, his chosen ones with gladness. He gave them the lands of the Gentiles. Sorry about that. I read what I'm not supposed to read, okay? That they might observe his statutes and keep his laws. Everyone together, praise the Lord. So, Father, we offer to you our hearts right now. We offer it to our minds, our wills, and we ask, Lord, speak into our lives from your word this morning. Bless this time. The things I prepared, break them fresh. Feed us, Lord. We're hungry, and we understand, we know how important a healthy, steady diet of our spiritual food, your word, how important that is. So I pray, Lord, give us ears to hear. Bless this. I would ask, Lord, if there's anyone hearing these things that, and they don't know you, as we just shared, we pray and ask, Lord, move their hearts, draw them to yourself in repentance, in turning from all the emptiness of this world, all the emptiness of sin itself, and turn them to you, the author of life itself, the giver of life, the savior of the world. Bless them, Lord, through this to bring them to a place of salvation this morning. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. You can be seated. Panama, Lord, <laughs> we ask in Jesus' name for this group that is right now in Panama and pray your blessing over them, the unity that we've been praying for, the effectiveness of their time with these people, 
that you bless the word as it's going out, bless the ministry, the hands and feet of, that you've given to minister over there, down there in Panama. Give them health, give them just safety, and bring them back to us in, in, safe, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I was just thinking as I was praying for that, um, some of you know Dan Bushy, and he is now, is he 68? Something like that. He has stage four prostate cancer. He, he's been involved in missions work for as long as we've known him. In fact, he was the first missionary that went out from Calvary Fellowship. He is, as we're talking, going up Mount Everest. I mean, this guy's nuts. <laughs> he loves the Lord. He just wants, and so he's over there in Nepal, which is where we were with him for five months. He's there ministering as he can, but now he's trekking up. So, Lord, we pray for Dan. <laughs> in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the story is told about a man who all his life, every time he got paid, took $20 out of his paycheck and put it under his mattress. Then he got sick and was about to die. As he was dying, he said to his wife, I want you to promise me one thing. Promise what, she asked. I want you to promise me that when I'm dead, you will, t you will take my money from under the mattress and put it into my casket so that I can take it all with me. He died, and his wife kept her promise. She went in and got all that money the day he died and went to the bank and deposited it and wrote out a check and put it in his casket. <laughs> I love it. You can't take it with you, bottom line. But you can sure, if it's still here, you can spend it. <laughs> God is the God of promise. He keeps his word even when it seems impossible, even when circumstances seem to be saying just the opposite. God makes a promise, faith believes it, patience waits for it, hope anticipates it. So depending on who you read or where you read, there are anywhere from 4,000 to some say 30,000 promises in the entire Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 28 is said to have more than any other chapter in the Bible. Some say 133 promises in Deuteronomy 28, which I think has about 68 verses. So these are both in Deuteronomy and the Bible. They're both positive and negative. There are promises that the soul that sins shall surely die. There's a promises that can overcome that. There's the spirit of uh, they, that we have as believers that overcomes sin and death. There's this law of life in Christ Jesus that overcomes these things. But nevertheless, the wages, there are promises that are both positive and negative. So from the opening pages of Scripture to their close, the story of God's redemptive activity is structured by promises made and promises kept, unquote. So this is part two, what's become a three-part study on Abraham and the promises of God. So as I shared last week, just as intro, Abraham is one of, if not the greatest example of faith in the Bible, in both the Old Testament and the New. He is the father of all who truly believe. Those who believe are called the seed of Abraham. He is called, his, by, because of his faith, he's called the friend of God. Historically, these 12 verses that we're looking at as far as Abraham, which also, these 12 verses were lived out in Genesis 12 through 50. Those chapters live these, this synopsis in Hebrews 11. It's the faith, yes, of Abraham, but really, as we'll see, it's the faith of the patriarchs. 
So you have Abraham in this, in this from, from in, in Genesis, excuse me, Hebrews, verse 8 through 22. You have Abraham, yes, but then the final couple of verses are all about, about these other three, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So we're going to be looking at Abraham, but it leads into this whole idea of faith in the promise of God in his sons, his descendants. <laughs> How many of you know Father Abraham has many sons? Father, son. <laughs> you want to sing it? Right hand, left hand, turn around. We won't do it. Okay. I can sit here. So a little outline for these three studies. Abraham went out. Abraham waited. And Abraham was tested. We'll look at Abraham's testing next week. Abraham went out. So last week, verses 8 through 10, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out. Abraham went in the direction of obedience to God. Most important thing in any steps we're taking is it's an obedience to God. And we can change the direction of our life with one step. Back to obedience to God. Someone said, Michael Lawrence said, what's striking when you consider that God is a God of promise is that it means that our lives are by design lives of waiting. So yes, he went out, but then he waited. Abraham waited. That's by design in God's relationship with us, his promises toward us. So last week we looked at he waited for a city God promised to build in verses 10 through uh, uh, 9 and 10. In other words, this city was impossible for him to build. It was beyond human creativity, beyond human ingenuity, beyond human technology, beyond, beyond, beyond human craftsmanship. It's the same way with God also promising a child. Impossible. And really that's the tenor of this whole thing of Abraham's faith. It's in God who can do the impossible. We serve the same God. We know the same God. So it says there, they desire a better, or it says, for he waited for the city which has foundation, whose builder and maker is God. So last week we looked at that. Hebrews eleven sixteen. 16. Today, they desire a better. This is it, closing our little verses this week, t t this morning. They desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared what? A city for them. He's prepared the same city for us. In Hebrews 12, 22, if you have your Bibles there, well, up on the screen. You have come to Mount Zion... To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. We've been, as it says there, we're, 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 coming, we're going to be coming to this city that includes all of this. Hebrews 13, 14, again, we, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. So we looked at Revelation 21, where it says in verse 10, He carried me away, John, in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. So I'd love to go through that all again this morning, but... I'll, I'll take, leave it to you to read those things. But God never made a promise that was too good to be true. I'm telling you, you start reading these details of what's coming. And they seem too good to be true. But God promised them so they're never too good to be true. 
fact, the whole of our salvation is too good to be true, but never because it's God's promise to us. So he waited, number one, for a city that God promised to build. But this morning, as we pick this up, he waited for a child God promised. A child that God promised. Look at verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was, what, past the age. Because she judged him faithful had promised. Therefore, from one man, so not only is Sarah past the age of childbearing, and him as good as dead, Abraham himself was as good as dead, were born as many of the, star, as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. This is alluding to almost quoting what God promised to Abraham would, be, would happen out of his deadness, out of Sarah's deadness. Impossible, for they could ever do it. Human ability to give birth out of death. So this, there is a difficulty with this passage. It assigns to Sarah what is an activity only possible for the male. Literally, power for, de, for the depositing of semen is what it's saying. So only the man can supply the seed. So a better rendering might be, by faith, he, Abraham, together with Sarah, received power. In other words, it seems that Sarah's faith was a direct result of Abraham's faith concerning this child. Now, before we go on, we have to pause to reflect on the child God promised to birth, who is Jesus. The first promise in the Bible is God's promise of a birth, of birthing a child, his son. And we read in Genesis 3.15, right after the sin of man, I will put enmity between you, this is Satan, now God's saying to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and, there it is, her seed, capital S. He shall bruise your head, mortal wounding, you shall bruise his heel, temporary, the crucifixion. In Matthew chapter 1, you know it well, but here it is. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. These are impossible things, humanly speaking. Joseph's going, what? Mary's going, how does that work? We'll get that in a moment. And she will bring forth a son, capital S, and you shall call his name Jesus. Jehovah is salvation, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. I mean, just blow our minds a minute here. For Mary in her place, and Joseph, and, and the angel is telling Joseph, and the angel tells Mary, this is God. And it's not only God's doing, it's God coming. Emmanuel. In Luke, we get this. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have been found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb 
and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And I say, Amen. Get on with it. <laughs> and Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the son of God. Now indeed, here's his, connected to this is Elizabeth, but the same impossibility is that in that of John the Baptist's birth. And Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for him who, who was called barren, for with God nothing will be impossible. Nothing. So he waited for a child, promised that God promised to birth. So when I look at these, when we look at the moment, you look at the story, you look at the chronicle of what happened when God promised to Abraham. And it seems that both Abraham and Sarah's waiting seem to lack faith in the promises of God. Both expressed at least to some degree of doubt, if not outright unbelief. So as we look at this story, after Abraham rescued Lot from the four kings, after he was blessed by Melchizedek, we read in Genesis chapter 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I, I, go, I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, not Eleazar, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And here's, here's his faith. This is a key. He believed in the Lord and he counted for right. That's key in the New Testament. So when God promised Abraham, he believed it. God accounted it for righteousness because he believed that God could do what he promised. Well, we're moving on. When Abraham was then 86, Sarah decided to help God in keeping his promise. After all, God said, from Abraham's heir, from Abraham's, he's going to be from Abraham's um, heir. He will be that. From his own body. So, okay. So, what, is, what, is, what does Sarah do? She gives him Hagar. And Hagar through Abraham, has a son named Ishmael. That's really, <laughs> he's called in the New Testament the son of the flesh, not promise. But here's Sarah trying to help God keep his promises. Then when Abraham was 99 years old, 13, 14 years later, God appeared to him again and reaffirmed this promise. He changed his name from Abram, father, to Abraham, the father of nations, many nations, and he gave him the sign of the covenant. And then we read this, verse 15 of chapter 17. God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, I will bless her and also give you a son by her. And I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall come, shall be from her. Then we read verse 17 of chapter 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? 
And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Now, here's what, I, beginning here is what I want to point out. It seems that they were lacking, there's this lack of faith in the promises. But let me tell you what there's not a lack of. Laughter. All the way through this story, you get this laughter. In fact, Isaac means laughter. So, so then, so he says, it says there, and Abraham fell on his face and laughed. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> sort of. And said in his heart, shall a child be born when one is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who was in 90 years, bear a child? That's impossible. That's, that's like, you got to be, that's a joke. Verse 19, then God said, no. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Laughter. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. So the laughter then continues. We get to Genesis chapter 18 when these three angels visit Abraham. Genesis 18, they said to him, where is Sarah your wife, these angels? Where is she? So he said, here in the tent. Then he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And it says there, not up here, I'll get to that in a moment. Sarah was listening in the tent. She's behind the curtain or whatever. The door which was behind Abraham, as this is being told. So we read in verse 11, now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Then Sarah laughed within herself, (laughs) saying, after I've grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, why why does Sarah laugh? (laughs) Get in the picture here? Why does Sarah laugh, saying, "Shall shall I surely bore a child since I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I'll return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, 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 you laughed. And we're going to find out that I believe God's laughing right along with him. So it happened, just as God had promised. In Genesis 21, the Lord visited Sarah and he had, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac, which means laughter. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah, Sarah said, God has made me laugh. Now, I just... It, I kind of get a kick out of it. God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, for I had borne him a son in his old age. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. He was 86 when Ishmael was born. He was, 90, he was 100 years old when Isaac was born. So Abraham waited for 25 years before the child of promise was born, Isaac. God had his appointed time. You find that twice in the scriptures. It puts a smile on my face, and I hope you this morning, in all of your 
wranglings in this life. It puts a, heart, a smile in my heart to think that God waited in order to have a good laugh with Abraham and Sarah. And the waiting, the waiting, it just got more impossible and more impossible. And I, I, I can see the heart of God wanting to so blow our minds as we wait on how good he is at doing the impossible. What are you waiting on God for today? What seems impossible for you this morning? I think we can look at that a little, from a little different perspective this morning just say, okay, God, how are you going to do it? How's it going to happen? I'm hearing voices. I can't hear what it's saying. Is it funny? Oh. <laughs> Was that Siri? I hope, <laughs> I hope this morning as we're, as we're just considering this simple thing, that the Lord will lighten you, your heart a little bit and realize he is the God of the impossible. I can look back at my old life, and you can too. Back, I was just reminiscing with, with some people about my own, uh, well, actually, you know, this last, what was it? What was it? Was it Wednesday the, the, or Monday? Or the anniversary of our first service here. You didn't read my email, did you, Garrett? <laughs> I sent out some pictures. <laughs> and uh, I have a ton of pictures on what this place used to look like. And then what God, you know, how we fixed it up. But how we got in here was amazing. We didn't have. We thought there's no way. It's too expensive. God is the God of the impossible. And when you look back, you realize like everything. Here I am nursing a child. You know how old I am? How old am I? I'm 90. Well, I know that wouldn't be so special for if you were 90. You're going to have a kid right now, right? <laughs> Just to have... The joy, the laughter over a God who promises and delivers in the impossible realm of his miracles, his goodness, his mercy. He does that. There is nothing so good as a good laugh with God. Psalm 126 came across my screen. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. And then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. They said, then, they said among, then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The nations are saying that. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. People see it, but we are the ones that it happened for. And we are glad. We're laughing. We have this joy. Psalm 16, 11, you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you know that Hebrews chapter 1, 9, talking of Jesus, said he was anointed with the oil of gladness more than his companions. When they were with Jesus, he was filled with gladness, filled with joy. More than anyone that ever walked the face of the earth was Jesus. There's this song by Bob Bennett. Some of you may know it. It's old. It's called Madness Dancing. 
In the middle of this madness, I am dancing, though I'm not quite, I'm not sure why just now. I tried to be sober, tried to be logical, but I could not stop my feet. I know I've not turned off my mind. I know there's evil all around, but for now, it's outside, and I'm in my room, and joy is like a crashing tide. A song came to me this morning and woke me. And as I listened, then I found that I was not alone. I was standing, moving, dancing, dancing on holy ground. You know, how many times there's a song that our worship team leads us in on Sunday morning, and it sticks with you through the day, through the week, through the surfaces. What's going on? That's the Holy Spirit. That's the joy of the Lord. Just in his presence is fullness of joy. So we find ourselves sometimes just wanting to stay in the car and finish listening to the CD worship. Because there's this time, it's almost stopped, when we're experiencing the presence of God and the joy of God and the releasing and being in his presence and singing and worshiping, the gladness that comes over our hearts that God is the God of the impossible. So what blesses me is the humor of God that keeps us through all our waiting by reminding us that God is the God of the impossible, and in him we can rejoice. This past Tuesday, election day, we began each hour of praying for our nation by reading through the book of Nehemiah, chapter an hour, 13 hours, 13 chapters. In Nehemiah chapter 8, interesting because this comes up, and when I read it a few years ago, and I, I, in the context, I said, wow, that is incredible. Because we read, so they read distinctly from the book. Now, Nehemiah is going back to rebuild the walls, the whole thing. It's the rebuilding. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. He said, do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Context. They're weeping at hearing the word. They're hearing things and realizing how bad it's gotten or how far away they've come. So the Levites quieted all the people saying, be still. For the day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and rejoice greatly because, here it is, they understood the words that were declared to them. They heard the word. They heard God speak to them. And let me say to you, that is also Another place where God wants to speak into our lives. The joy of the Lord is our strength. His promises, his word is true. You can bank on it every time. So Abraham's faith is confirmed in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 4, we read this. Who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations... According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Notice, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body, already dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. That was Abraham's faith. This faith's optimism 
George, this is, this is written by Kent R. Hughes. He's a commentator. But he says this. He quotes, I don't have it up there, so just listen along. George Sweetie, a past president of Moody Bible Institute, once gave this memorable definition of optimism. Optimism is when an 85-year-old man marries a 35-year-old woman and moves into a 12-room house next to an elementary school. But Kent writes this. I have a better definition for him. Optimism is when a 99-year-old man and, a, and his 90-year-old bride hear God say they're going to be parents and believe, off, and believe their, their offspring will fill not a schoolhouse but the whole earth, that they will be as numerous as the stars of the sky and as countless as the sand of the sea. That's optimism. That's Abraham and Sarah. Believing, he waited, believing, and as it says there in Romans, he knew Abraham. The situation was humanly impossible. But he was not weak in faith. Why? He was not weak in faith because he weighed the human impossibility. He and Sarah birthing a son. He weighed that against the divine impossibility of God breaking his promise. And decided, with a smile and a chuckle, I think, that since God is God, Nothing is impossible. Nothing. Galatians 4.4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. How does that happen? It's impossible, except there is the son. Jesus was promised by God from the moment sin entered the world. And then at the appointed time, the exact time, was miraculously born of a virgin. He did so, as, as we hear often, immaculately, perfectly. Jesus was promised to live a sinless life. He did so perfectly. Jesus was promised to take upon himself the sin of the world, die on a cross, and pay the penalty for the sin of the whole world. He did so humbly. He, was pro he promised to rise from the dead. He did so historically. It's a fact. Jesus promised to, be, to, to defeat Satan, sin, death, and hell. He did so emphatically. Jesus visibly ascended into heaven, promising to return. He will do so, I say and hope, speedily. Jesus promised to redeem us by his blood and reconcile us back to God. And he will do so to anyone that asks him personally. There's no one outside the realm of salvation. Jesus seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. God's promised, faithful, and merciful high priest. He's the mediator of the new covenant. He ever lives to make intercession for us. And listen, he is doing so presently. All is God's promises to us. Jesus promised to reign over his kingdom forever and ever. And he will do so and us with him who believe gloriously. As John said, and this is the promise he's promised us, eternal life. So Abraham waited for a city God promised to build, a child God promised to birth. And so these last verses we'll look at quickly. He waited with a confession. 
God's promises are something way better. Way better. So these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things desire plainly that they seek a homeland. We say those things. We are saying very plainly. We're seeking another homeland, another country, another city. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But they didn't want to return. We don't want to return. No matter what opportunity might be, we don't want to return. This, this, is not, this earth is not our home. It's not our final resting place. But now they desire better. That is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. He's prepared a city for us. Our banner over this whole, uh, the whole of these studies in, in Hebrews is Jesus is better. He's better. God's promises are something much better. Why would I go back to these other things. To whom shall I go? He alone has the words of eternal life. He is much better than Hebrews, much better than the angels. He's the better hope through which we draw near to God. He's the surety of a better covenant. He's the mediator of a better covenant. He's the better sacrifice of a better covenant. That's Jesus. Because of Jesus, we have been promised heaven. A better and enduring possession for ourselves in heaven. Hebrews. We're looking for a better, that is a heavenly country. Bottom line, we are looking for a better resurrection. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. To put that in human terms, mine, God was so proud of each and every one of them who believed his promises. And didn't waver in unbelief. Believe that he's the God of the impossible. Not ashamed to be called their brethren. He's looking forward also in that, in, being, in us being home with him. The extraordinary faith of Abraham did not live to see God fulfill these promises. But he lived his life assured that God would. God promised his descendants would be as numeral as the stars in the sky. Abraham might have seen a constellation, that's it, in his earthly pilgrimage. He promised his descendants would be a blessing to the whole world. Abraham didn't see that. That a land he never owned would be his. He owned a cave in someone else's property. That was it. But Abraham lived as though the future promises of God were a present-day reality. God's promises, I see them. I'm assured of them. I embrace them. I declare plainly I'm a stranger and a pilgrim on this earth. That this world will never be my home. I declare plainly I have no desire to ever return. In Romans chapter 8... I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glories which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Rome, uh, for 2 Corinthians, therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is renewed how? Day by day. 
For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Light affliction, weight of glory. That's the contrast. Why we do not look at the things which are seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. But we look at the things which are not seen, for the things which are not seen are eternal. God's promises. Corey Ten Boone said, let God's promises shine on your problems. Hebrews, by faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. So here's what happened. Moses compared the best that the world had to offer with the worst God had to offer. And he chose the worst God had to offer over the best the world had to offer. That's always the right choice. If you were to say to Moses today, do you think you made the right choice? He'd say, you bet I did. And I wanted to honor, if you were to ask Shirley Joan Myers, she'd say, you bet I did. She went to be home with the Lord just recently. Some of you know her, maybe didn't know that. But I think a tiny Adcock, Sharon Straley, Jeff Richter, these are some of the morals I've done, memorials. If, if you were to say to them, do you think you made the right choice? You bet I did. Because now they are seeing these things that for us right now are yet future. He has prepared a city for them. This, rap, this, this um, bookends the faith that we're talking about with Abraham. As Christians, we've been promised a future city of God. It's God's creative genius, his exquisite design, his brilliantly splendid construction. We looked at last week, and the, the eternal permanence. That's what we're heading toward. That's what God's promised. In Philippians, it says this. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies, that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. God makes a promise. Faith believes it. Patience waits for it. Hope anticipates it. The song that came to mind, if I could have the worship team come out, the hymn that came to mind when I was just studying and preparing is How Great Thou Art. Some of the lyrics say this, when Christ shall come, with shouts of acclamation, and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart, then I shall bow in humble adoration, and there proclaim, my God, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Amen. Stand, let's worship together, and I'll close this in prayer.